hopeless for people using the beta, like actually using it like a few weeks ago. So that's when I started seeing blog posts and stuff. So maybe they couldn't post about it or anything, but I know I've only started seeing it for a few weeks. So Tim, it's like autocomplete for coding, but it's not just completing like the word you're typing It's completing the thought in your head. Like you can't, like if you write a good comment about Mm -hmm. what you're trying to accomplish, it can generate functions for you. According to Uncle Bob, there is no good comment. <laughs> yeah. They're not, Uncle Bob's not going to like this at all. But they were saying like the like first pass of some of this with some Python tests, with some Python code that they had, it had like 47% accuracy <laughs> like of trying to figure out what the developer was trying to accomplish. But my whole thing with this is I was trying to figure out the who gets credit for this code. Yeah. It's, it's not my code. Like I. You're listening to Working Code with your hosts, one of whom probably just wrote a new JavaScript library, Adam, Ben, Carol, and Tim. Hey, everybody. It is show number 42. And on today's episode, we are going to have another potluck. We figure it's been a while. It's time to do it again. So four random topics that we all bring in here with no prior discussion or planning. We're going to see what happens. But first, as usual, we're going to start with our triumphs and fails. And Ben, it looks like it's your turn to go first, man. What do you got going on? Triumph, which is that I spent yesterday and today slicing and dicing data in MySQL. And I think this actually dovetails quite nicely with our previous episode on transactions. Um, I just show Adam, you had mentioned that one of the nice things about SQL is, is that you don't know how you're going to use your data and you have reporting and you have crud pages and you have other kinds of usages that you need to use. And that was with me, uh, in the last two days, mm-hmm. I, um, and who accidentally evicted a bunch of users, like hundreds of users from their system. And we have a lot of historical data. So when a user gets evicted from a system, we sort of just end a lot of the records. We don't necessarily delete. We do a lot of soft deleting. Okay. So I spent the last two days comparing historical records to current records because then they had re-added a bunch of users to the system. So I had to kind of do these differences between uh, the previous day of the date and the current day. But it was so exciting because you haven't really lived until you've joined a table back to itself <laughs> and then had to make sense of, of the uh, two uh, relationship. But um, I think there's... Were you trying to like restore? So like they, you said they evicted a bunch of users and then re-added them. Were you trying to like restore them as if they had never... Uh, been evicted. I'm guessing evicted means like soft delete. Yeah, I had to, not, not only did I had to bring back some of the users, but then I had to bring back some of the kind of peripheral data that, that was associated with the users, but had been disassociated when the user mm-hmm. was evicted. But, uh, and SQL statements to generate other SQL statements. So I had oh, these yeah. really big, complex SQL statements. And then once I would get the the right, then I would copy it and paste it. And then I would, instead of having selective columns, I would do a selective concat where I'd be like insert into table and set. And I had a bunch of columns, this giant concat statement. So I'd run it and it would produce, you know, a uh, uh, 26,000 record insert statements. Mm-hmm. And then I'd run those in batches of a thousand, just copy and paste them into another terminal window. But um, I'm just data is thrilling. Uh, <laughs> you are a strange man. <laughs> I like data. <laughs> it's so good. It makes so much sense when you, uh, you know, play around with it. I agree. I mean, I love it when you can like transform data and then find certain trends or I also like building charts for data. It's visualizing data and seeing stuff that, that you really just can't see from the raw data. A lot of fun. And, um, that indexes a lot lately because of our, because of our code and just all timely 
being able to to munge a whole bunch of different data using different queries. So okay. the data show that's the one where I lost connection, right? I wasn't Yeah, yeah. Comfortable. Yeah. Yeah, we said Postgres for you a couple times. So thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, Tim, what do you have going on? So a triumph. I mean, I guess I call it a triumph. I just really love the, the past couple of weeks, customer meetings and also customer prospect meetings. And when they come up with some sort of new feature, new use case that we never really had foreseen, there's been times when we've been in a demo and someone's like, hey, how do you do this? And I, I kind of know what they're talking about. But just being able to go, oh, yeah, we do that. And then <laughs> before the next call the next week, you add that new feature. <laughs> <laughs> to prove it to them. Yeah, we'll schedule a demo. We'll do that. We're totally just building from scratch what they're asking for, but in- including it into the overall part of the product. I just love being able to do that because sometimes you, when you build a product, you don't foresee all the uses that people mm-hmm. are going to need for something. So, for, for instance, the, the one I'm thinking of uh, is someone brought up, how do you guys handle, uh, we're sending money to people. Well, how do you... OFAC, there's laws, OFAC, I forget what it stands for, but there's terrorist lists of people that have sanctions on them and you're not supposed to send those people money or otherwise you get in trouble. How do you handle that? Well, quick search, there's tons of APIs out there to do that and they're pretty inexpensive. So oh, yeah, we, we, we totally do that. And, but by the next demo, we we're, we've already put it into the product and, and that can actually do it. So it's not necessarily a lie, but you don't say, here's how we're already doing it. You just say, oh yeah, we do that. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 We do that. And then you just throw out a lot of acronyms and words that make it sound like, you know, what you're talking about. And then you just go build it behind the scenes before the next demo. (laughs) I just love that. Nice things about putting your application behind a CDN content delivery network is that a lot of CDNs will inject a country code header as it passes through to your uh, origin servers. So you can, we use, we use to to do the GDPR stuff as well as the OFAC stuff, which is Uh, really helpful. Very cool. How about you, Carol? I am too. Um, this what? week, yeah, I made my one-year mark at Clear Capital. Congratulations. So Congratulations. I, it popped up in my email, and I was like, holy cow, I've been here a year. And I feel like I'm learning everything all over again, because now I'm going cool. back to this main project, because you know I've been on this other one so long. So I'm like, wow, it's been a year. Was Dang. that today as we're recording? Uh, it was or Tuesday. This week. Okay. Yeah, it was Tuesday. Cool. Yeah, so two, two days, days ago. ago. Yeah, here in two days. So woohoo! They didn't fire me. Yay! <laughs> cool. Well, congratulations. Yay! Yay! Thanks. What about you, Adam? Well, I guess this is another four for four. It's like we need a, a triumph sound when we get four for four triumphs. But... <laughs> I was gonna go with yeah, that, the dong. Uh... I like I like the dong sound. Dong sound. Yeah, I like that. I like that. I forget what that's from, but yeah, that's a classic. That's what anyway, yeah, I got another triumph here. So I'm going to get quacked for this, but I'm okay with it. I just wanted to say, yo, ES build, if you've not heard of it, it's a, like a, it's a sort of, I would call it a new generation of like bundlers and, and transformers for JavaScript code. It is fucking fast. Line. I mean, there, yeah. there's a lot of things that are neat about it, but, um, I mean, it's one of the things that Sean was mentioning in our last episode, how like this new generation of tools, they're built using tools other than JavaScript, right? So Webpack and Parcel and these other things were built using JavaScript to compile the JavaScript, which is fine because then JavaScript people can contribute to it. But if you don't need the JavaScript community to be able to contribute to it and you're okay kind of moving that responsibility outside the community, 
then these other systems level languages, Rust and Go and some other stuff can give you sort of out of the box a whole um, new level of performance you can get to. So we, I did a little check. We have, this kind of ties into my topic for the potluck, but so our application has 26 JavaScript bundles. And when we get to my topic, we'll talk about that, but 26 bundles that we build. And and previously we were building them using Browserify via Grunt. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll talk about that later, but to do a full JavaScript rebuild for all of our public facing and admin, like the whole soup to nuts took approximately 90 seconds, a little under like 85 and change. And, and that's on my machine, which is, I have 64 gigs of Ram and a top end CPU and, when I built this desktop, I spared no expense on the hardware overdo it. So it'll last a long time. And so 85 plus seconds to, to build everything. When I, when I converted everything to run with ES build, I'll tell you the number in a second, but (laughs) when I built it, so when I ran it for the first time, I was like, there's no way that was correct. It ran so fast that I was like, I had to have done something wrong. And I went there. There's an empty empty folder. Right. Yeah. Like, (laughs) I was like, okay, start up, shut down, do, do nothing. That's how fast it runs, right? Yeah. Because I went in and I like added debug output, like make sure you're actually running the bundle <laughs> and like what's the size of the completed bundles and stuff. And I mean, so here it is. It goes, it went from 85 seconds and change to mm-hmm. five one hundredths, five over 100 of one second. Oh wow. boy. How is that even a thing? That's crazy. I, I, I mean, it's, it's definitely <laughs> parallelized, right? So it, it runs as a promise it returns a promise and so you can what i'm doing is i have a script that does a promise.all await promise.all on each of the bundles individually being built and so it's running it could effectively be running what did i say 26 parallel builds Builds all at once right when i did my naive is this even worth pursuing quick hack at it i got it down to like seven seconds and i was really impressed with that it's like yeah Mm -hmm. seven seconds (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, I'm just my pants are blown off. Or is that a saying? <laughs> is that the thing people say? I've never heard it before, but we'll go with yes. Sure. Yeah. My mind is blown. It's, it's super fast, and I'm just excited. We're playing with new tools, and that kind of is what made me think of my topic for today. So. Well, that's cool. awesome. Yeah. All right, potluck time. Who wants to go first? About the phrase "strong opinions loosely held," and it, it's a phrase that I've heard. A bunch of times in the last couple of years. And, and on its surface, I always think about it as this noble intent that I, I'm oh, having my mind changed and mm-hmm. I don't have to die on any hills about things that I feel about it. The less I like it as a statement of intent, because I think about my learning over the last few decades and so much of what I do is try to build a very strong mental model of how I think the world of programming operates and how applications operate and how databases work and how control flow works and how to, you know, run Git based workflows that make sense for your team and how to deploy off. And, and I'm, I'm confined the, the best way to do something for my particular circumstance, you know, my particular team, particular set of skills. And the idea that if I have a strong opinion about something, I should just be open to letting it go. Seems crazy. Like I wouldn't want to go to a surgeon 
and him being like, oh, well, in order to operate on your tumor, like we absolutely have to do this. We got this and new I'd JavaScript like, robot. Yeah. And then that. I'm like, well, hold on. What about this other opinion? And then I don't want my brain surgeon to be like, you know what? That's a good point. I'm going to totally forget about the last three decades of medical training that I've had. <laughs> and so like, I understand the idea that when faced with new evidence, it's good to be open-minded. And if there's something that comes your way, that's truly better than your previous opinion, then you do want to be able to grow as a human being and evolve your thinking. But just generally speaking, this idea that if you have strong opinions that are hopefully based on past experience and evidence, like why should you be open to change your mind really quickly? That, that seems kind of crazy. The more I think about it. Yeah. The way you, the way you word it sounds, it does sound a little passive aggressive. I, I have a term that I like better than that one. And that is, we were talking about it at work yesterday. Disagree, but commit. Oh yeah. I've heard that one too. So, I mean, because I mean that, that does happen, right? So you have a strongly held opinion. I have a strongly held opinion and they differ from each other, right? There's merits to both and there are cons to both as well. At some point, you just can't, I mean, if you're fully entrenched and both sides are entrenched on those, then nothing's going to get done and no decision will be made or the worst decision will be made just because someone else will just do it while everyone else is arguing. <laughs> so, <laughs> and so it's like, yeah, at some point you just go like, look, I disagree with your method, but you know, someone has to make a decision here where, which way we're going with me or Ben. And then we commit to it. So the, and the commitment isn't saying, Hey, I agree with this way. I still disagree. I still totally disagree with the way we're going, but I'm not going to bring it back up again. I'm not going to berate people okay. over this. I'm just going to commit to it. I'm going to help build it. I'm going to do my best to make it work. And if the cons that I said are going to happen with that approach, come out and bite us in the butt. I might say a little, I told you so, but <laughs> So it sounds like the, the commit part of that disagree, but commit is on the part of the person who is not getting their way, right? So you and Ben are not arguing, but, you know, trying to figure out the right approach to a problem and you can't find a clear winner. So somebody, whoever has the, the, <laughs> however it can be decided, some a decision is made, you pick a direction to go so that you don't spend your wheels for six weeks arguing yeah. over the decision. <laughs> And the person who doesn't get their way just has to be like, okay, well, I dissented and uh, now I'm just going to respect the decision. Yeah, because the worst is when you have someone who disagrees and then undermines. Yeah. Right. At work, the places that I've heard that most often are kind of top down where the product team has an idea and they pitch it to engineers and the engineers don't want to do it or they don't want to build it the, the way that the product team is suggesting. And at some point there's a power imbalance uh, in our, I don't know about all companies, but in our companies that are especially product led, the product team will eventually look at the engineers and be like, I need you to disagree and commit because this is how we're building it. And I have fantasized so many times about using that exact phrase in my own conversations, but like going up the chain yeah. where I'll say, Hey, I'm going to build this thing. And a product manager will come to me and be like, well, that's not really on our roadmap. And I want to be like, well, I need you to disagree and commit because. <laughs> so I think I'm looking at this slightly different than you are, or 
I'm hearing it different than how you guys are kind of saying it. Maybe it's a female male thing. I don't know yet. We'll figure it out. So I take it as that, like I'm coming to you with this big statement, with this big thing that needs to happen or this, my big opinion, like what I'm, I'm held to. But if the data like isn't there to back it up or it can't be held or it can't be done, I will like gladly change my mind. Like to me, that's what, how I perceive the, um, strongly held is that I have a passion for it. But if you show me that it's not that I'll gladly just go, all right, cool. Then that's what it's not. And we'll go on. Yeah. I'm kind of with Carol. I don't see a problem with the phrase, the phrasing strong opinions weekly held to me. It just, I think you kind of described it the way that I think about it, which is that you're open to having your mind changed, but in the meantime, you're going to believe in what you believe in and you're going to believe in it fully. You, you got to prove me wrong first. Well, okay. So I think maybe the part that rubs me the wrong way is that when I've heard the phrase and I've, and I've tried to write it into my own thinking, it's almost been this like not moral is not the right word, but this like behavioral compass where like, this is the thing I'm trying to attain that I should just be able to detach from my strong opinion. It's almost like a Zen like state. Instead of instead of have to cling to my strong opinions, and and maybe the part that rubs me the wrong way is that in there is the assumption that I place on it, which is that if I have a strong opinion that is based on something very important, like past experience or evidence, and then someone just tells me we're not going to do it that way, that I should just magically be able to be like, oh, mm-hmm. I'll just change my mind then, like. No, like, I don't. I don't like that. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's not. What so that's wrong. so maybe that's not how anyone intends it. Maybe that's just right. how I hear it. Maybe because I think if you are going at it, you've probably taken the time to make sure you have the data or you have the the proof to show that this is a good opinion. Like you've taken the time to work it out. So if someone just says no, then they're, you know, going again. You've already figured out. But if it's definitive proof, is it really an opinion? Going to call it an opinion and not sound like jerks. Well, yeah. I mean, especially in our world, you know, to say ends a fact is crazy. Yeah. Not crazy, but it's like so much is dependent on the team and the product and right. the skills and the time and the budgeting. Like, And the facts can change over time when yeah. you learn mm-hmm. more or when True. the ecosystem changes or whatever. One thing I take issue with that you said, Ben, not, the situation you said is where you have the product team saying, hey, we need you to build this way. I don't think product teams should have a say in how it's built. That's not their job. The, you know, the product team is like, what features do we need to have? What's going to satisfy the customer need? What's the roadmap? I mean, why should they have a, a an overriding say in how it's done? Organizations are messy, man. <laughs> Software is messy. That's all I can say. That should be just like, here's what we need. Can you fulfill it? Yes, we can. Don't tell me, don't micromanage me and say, Mm-mm. we got to use this database. You got to use this. To, if, if we can do it, it's within budget. We're doing it this way. Hearing us all say is that our opinions matter and we should, <laughs> you know, everyone should just do what we say and things would be much better. <laughs> I would be much happier at work if everybody did what I said, what I right? thought was important. <laughs> right. <sighs> all right. I think have we covered it. I think we've covered it. You didn't even get cut off. Check you out. So what was my topic? Libraries. Yeah. The lifetime, what is it? The lifespan of a JavaScript application, right? And so I mentioned we have this application that we are, the production builds are still built using Grunt to run Browserify. And I mean, if we're going to get into how old this thing is, we have like transforms for Browserify that will 
compile our handlebars templates <laughs> to, to to basically put stuff together. This was before React was ever like this application was born well before React and maybe from before Webpack. If it is, if Webpack already existed, then it wasn't as you know widespread and common as it is now. This was in the heyday of Grunt and Gulp, and code splitting was not really a thing that people talked about a ton. Like it was still at that point in the landscape when people agreed that it was a good thing to do, but nobody had a good solution for it. It's just like, you need to be doing this and then you figure out how. And so we figured out a way we just kind of designated. These are the breakpoints between the modules of our applications. Every module gets its own bundle. And then there's sort of a core bundle that's included on every page because it's that the stuff in there is that common that every page needs it. So between all of that, we have 26 bundles. And the topic that I want to talk about, so lifespan of a JavaScript app, is this is really old tech. And I talked about how I've been playing with ESBuild to try and uh, speed up that bundling process. And it just made me think, like, this application is six to eight years old. And it definitely has been a growing pain for a long time for us now. And I wanted to talk about, like, what is... Obviously, you don't want to go from something that's working to something that just came out last week. Nobody's using it yet. It's not even version 1.0. That's that's the wrong move, uh, <laughs> which is this is the point where I say I've been looking at just for fun because I'm on this this kick of trying new things. But I've been looking at Svelte because, again, because Sean was talking it up last yeah. week and, and it caught my ear and I'm really interested and they're not 1.0 yet. And I think Svelte is, but the Svelte kit is not which is like the, the next JS of Svelte. And yeah, so just like, what what are the warning signs that you look for that it's like, okay, this is going to be coming due soon. We need to think about re-architecting this application in a way that can reuse a lot of what we have. You know, I'm not talking about a full rewrite of all the JavaScript. I'm just saying like the, the tooling needs to be upgraded, mm. right? It's rotten to the point now where I mean, it still works, but for years we've already felt behind the curve and now the curve is staring down the barrel of like an order of magnitude, if not better change in the way things work. But you're not talking about new development areas. You're talking about replacing existing, right? All of the above. We, I said this application is like six to eight years old. We've never stopped developing on it, right? The product is for for all intents and purposes, never done, right? We're right. adding new modules, we're adding new features, we're adding more reports, we're adding this and that. Jobs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Never done. Yeah, never. And yeah, so just like, and that's the thing is you can't, you can, you absolutely can um, say, okay, all new development is going to be done over here with a brand new React app and it's right. going to use these things and old stuff is we're hanging on by a thread there sort of thing. And if you get the opportunity to migrate it, then you migrate it, but it's tough. I mean, all and right. there's a cost side to that. I mean, yep. it's not just time. It costs money to take your people to write, to rewrite something that's already working. That's, but, that's hard to buy. But what is it you rewrite? I, I don't understand. Is it the JavaScript you're rewriting or just the, the tools used to like bundle it up. That's the thing is I did this. It was so exciting for me. I did this conversion in my own free time in one <laughs> evening 
and it still has to go through code review. There's no, for ES build so far, I wasn't able to find like a plugin that can do handlebars templates. And we only had like 15 of them or something like that. So I just rewrote those as functions that take the exact same inputs as the handlebars template would, and it returns the exact same output. But instead of using handlebars, it's just a function that does some string JavaScript function. Yeah. It does the string concatenation manual. And another thing that we didn't have when this application was born that we do have now is the, the backtick strings, the template literal thing. Mm-hmm. And you're able to do like the tokens in there. That makes it so much easier to do the string concatenation stuff. So it's, I did that. Like I said, in all of that in an evening, converted all the whole build process and the handlebars templates. And what was the other thing? Oh, so our existing browser fi pipeline, each bundle can have more than one entry point. So normally with one of these bundlers, you give it a single file, an index.js or whatever, and it sort of follows the dependency tree out and, and bundles everything together. I think what Browserify is doing is doing that same thing, but then if you have multiple files as the various entry points, then it takes that resulting bundle, and if you had like three entry points and you got sort of three sub-bundles, and it just concatenates them together. That's I'm totally guessing, but that's my <laughs> it guess. It sounds is. fancy and right. <laughs> right. And so, but ES build doesn't do that. So I had to figure out like what was the actual value in the multi entry point bundles that we were getting. And the short answer is we weren't getting anything. We were just doing it because it seemed like it, it needed to be done. And I don't think it actually did. So now that said, I did this evening of work. There's a pull request waiting to be looked at, code reviewed, and everything. And one of the things we need to do is we have this huge application that is built on top of 26 different JavaScript bundles that now we need to go and test and make sure that nothing broke, right? right. Because of some obscure feature that didn't doesn't work in ES build or got built incorrectly or whatever. So there is that. It's That's the downside. But it's, the, I guess, so we talked about the, there's a cost to upgrade the application to rewrite it. Or you decide everything's going to be React or whatever. There's also a cost associated with having to maintain old code, right? Absolutely. We have more than one application, microservices and whatever, that are on like a Webpack version that's like three or five versions old that we just, the application has been doing fine in production without ever needing to be touched. So why touch it? And so now we're five versions of Webpack back and the Babel stuff doesn't work anymore and this and that. And it's like, anytime you need to make a significant change, you either have to spend a week fighting with it to get it to work or... You have to spend that week upgrading everything and dealing with all the fallout of those upgrades. And it's either way, it's terrible. So that's where you should eat it and go ahead and upgrade. So if you do have a major edit that needs to be made or a major rewrite, you go ahead and eat that time then. Because otherwise you're going to be facing this in six months when you need to make a change when something Mm -hmm. happens. Yeah. Carol just told you to eat it. Eat it. You eat, <laughs> you eat the, so you're going to lose money either way. We, yeah. we know it's not going to be cheap to, to upgrade if you're not constantly upgrading and, and maintaining. Yeah. If you ever get behind, it's going to be expensive. So that's where if you have to do it, go ahead and put the money in and, mm-hmm. and upgrade. Yeah, and generally the way our organization is, whoever's doing the work kind of decides, is this worth doing the upgrade or should I try yeah. to just kind of grit it out? And... I'm the guy in the background when it's not me doing the work. I'm the guy in the background. It's like, it's probably smarter to to upgrade. We're going to have to run through this all again next time. And if you upgrade now, then when we have another feature we need to add next month, then we don't have to go through this. But uh, that's actually one thing I do like about the industry that that we're in with with financials and credit cards. PCI basically says you you can't be using tech that is supported anymore. 
digital life, right? So it's like, yeah, we're constantly having to update because we won't pass our PCI if we're on like something that's been deprecated for two years and not supported anymore. And there's no security updates for it anymore. So security holes all through it. All right. I got less than a minute on the clock and there's one more thing I want to say here. So Dependabot, we have been turning that on for all of our JavaScript apps and it is awesome. You, it works the best if you have tests that you can run because it'll, you get the dependabot PRs and it says, okay, there's a new version of Jest available. Here's, it creates a branch with that dependency upgraded. And if your stuff is set up right, then your tests will run automatically and you'll be like, oh, look, there's a new version and the test pass. I can merge this, right? If you have comprehensive and, and automated testing. Not to stare directly into Ben's soul here, but Depends. you're That's just awesome. lucky I didn't bring up linting in my strong opinions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't think of that, but that's definitely one of your strong opinions, sir. <laughs> so la- a few more seconds. Anybody have anything else on this topic you want to say? It's just really hard. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. cause at any time you're upgrading, you're by definition, not building something else, which you know, if you're a, you know, you have a, you're a small scrappy team, like when someone's not working, that's like a real impact on yeah, productivity. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's not like you're a thousand engineers and yeah. taking a few out of rotation to upgrade stuff is going to be like a drop in the bucket. It's, yeah, it's, there's it's significant. There's, I don't know. Even with a thousand engineers, I don't think that's a drop in the bucket, right? It's like the organization gets used to the certain amount of mm. progression, right? And so you, to say, hey, we need to cut this down by even X percent manage it was like why what's going on here (laughs) oh yeah and there's our time all right next topic who's up me or tim me or tim why don't you go carol oh i have been really fascinated with github copilot so i think adam knows what it is ben do you know what it is oh yeah Okay, Tim. I'm not from. I'm not familiar. You're not familiar. So right. I'm, I'm. I'm. I'm an open vessel. Yeah. So, um, and if I'm wrong, all, Carol? On, no, I'm not on the. I'm not on the list yet. Yeah, okay. I've been waiting. I've been waiting, but I'm not been invited. I'm not a cool kid. Maybe one day I'll get my cool kid badge. I didn't and even I'll get the invite. I didn't even request it. You didn't sign up. So no. I it asks you when you sign up how often you use Visual Studio Code, and I'm mm-hmm. like every day, all the time. That's all I use. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, maybe that'll get me bumped up because it's only available in. VS Code. So um, GitHub is a AI program that they have created that's basically pair programming. What? So it auto-generates code. It will help you auto-generate tests. Um, it's powered by OpenAI um, project that they have going on. Like this came out during the summer, but I don't think the beta started till a few weeks ago. Like that's when I finally few weeks old. Well, I've only started seeing posts for people using the beta, like actually using it like a few weeks ago. So that's when I started Hmm. seeing blog posts and stuff. So maybe they couldn't post about it or anything, but I know I've only started seeing it for a few weeks. So Tim, it's like autocomplete for coding, but it's not just completing like the word you're typing It's completing the thought in your head. Like you like if you write a good comment about Mm -hmm. what you're trying to accomplish, it can generate functions for you. According to Uncle Bob, there is no good comment. <laughs> yeah. They're not, Uncle Bob's not going to like this at all. But they were saying like the like first pass of some of this with some Python tests, with some Python code that they had, it had like 47% accuracy <laughs> like of trying to figure out what the developer was trying to accomplish. But my whole thing with this is I was trying to figure out the who gets credit for this code. 
Yeah. It's auto-generated. It's that's, not my code. That's like, the whole I, thing. I feel dirty about this. Like, I feel like, oh, it's like copying and pasting from Stack Overflow. Like, I just feel <laughs> gross. Like, yeah. Ugh. So it gets worse. So it's machine learning, right? It's trained on a data set of basically all the open source code on mm -hmm. GitHub. Right. And it looks at what you're typing and it's like, oh, and, and actually, I, if I'm not mistaken, it can look at like the other files in your project, your file structure and the name of the file and take a blank file and suggest what should go in it. Right. You're writing a test for this language and it's next to this file and it's got the same name as this other thing with that spec.js instead of .js. So right? they like, have oh, you're testing that and... and Guys, Skynet's here, guys. They haven't Skynet publicly, is here. They haven't publicly said that part of it yet, or nothing I found. Okay. They're pretty much like the only context that this has available to it is what's in the current file you're operating in. Okay, maybe, so, maybe I made that up in my head. Sorry, but or no, someone may have posted it, but eh, GitHub know. hasn't said that yet. Okay. So. Well, so here's the th here's the rub where I think if you haven't already seen this discussed, you probably will soon. The thing that a lot of people are upset about because it's unclear is there is an awful lot of GPL license code on GitHub. And the GPL license specifically says you're allowed to use it, but anything you build with GPL code has to also be released under the GPL. So you can't put GPL code into a non-open source or non-free application, right? And now I'm not a patent attorney, but I'm pretty sure that's the, the interpretation. That's pretty close to the interpretation of the GPL. And so there's this whole like kerfuffle going on of is uh, Copilot building code containing snippets of or even based on snippets of code that's released under the GPL? And if so, does that affect your code that you write with it? Actually, a really interesting episode. I want to say it was on the changelog where they were interviewing a patent lawyer about this very specific thing. And like half of the show centers around the concept of fair use within patented material and a, I'm not, and, I, and copy and copyright material. Like, yeah, yeah. 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 And, um, and I think the gist of that is that our laws allow you to, to some small portion of an overall product in, uh, when your critique of it or your, you're in some other conversation without infringing on the, on the copy or the patent. And, uh, they were saying that. It, it gets a little funny because GitHub uses entire repositories of code in order to train their machine learning algorithms. But the developer who uses Copilot to write five lines of code, like that five lines of code is such a tiny fragment of, you know, a multi-million line of code project that they fall under different kind of a categories of fair uses. It's, it's a super interesting show. Yeah, I listened to that too. The example that they gave was like a teacher in a classroom can use a clip from a movie without having to request authorization to show it. And she can't be held responsible for it if she shows this to her classroom. Um, like, because she had to criticize or to teach from it and then it becomes okay. So I was like, oh, so the code, who owns it? Who owns the code that this is that's being generated? Like, who gets credit for it? And the way GitHub lays it out, it's like you don't give credit to the ink pen that you use to write down your notes. You don't give credit to the compiler that compiles your code. It's still yours. So this is they're treating it as no different. There's no difference between the, the items. And I'm just not for sure how I feel yet. Like, yeah. I'm not worried that this is going to take my job and that this is going to, like, replace <laughs> me. I'm just more of like at, uh, like an impact of is this ethical? 
unethical because I feel like I'm mm-hmm. cheating. I feel yeah. like I'm taking something that's not mine and I shouldn't be doing that. Like if I'm going to write it, it should be something I've written and not something that someone else wrote for me. And I took credit for it and then took a nap because it got done faster. Like, I don't know. I'm <laughs> how much would you trust it right no i mean i think you still have to but i'm sure it's going to speed things up like if it could auto generate my functions for me just with the variables i put in knowing from some comment like that just gets me at a cleaner starting point or if i can like import my jest library and go okay this is the the test that we're going to be writing and it knows how to generate tests to get me on a good path and that's really cool I'm all for it generating tests. That's great. I've always wanted auto-generated tests. But I just feel like if my code is so predictable, I'm, I must be doing a lot of boilerplate. That it's like, oh, you're doing this again? Here, let me do it for you. Yeah, I, I don't know about that yet. I know that from the posts I've saw, the people who've been doing it are like, you have to write very small and very concise functions to make it work. It, it's not, well, big, complicated mm. logic, but that's how programs should work. It right? should have I'm, small pieces that do the bigger job. Yeah. So, Uncle Bob agrees. But the unique comments. Sorry. Sorry. So, yeah. It seems really cool. I'm excited. I hope I get an invite. Oh, and they're going to sell it. It's not going to be a free tool. Mm. It's going to be obviously something that they sell, but I would love to be in the beta on that and just see how yeah. it works. I, I kind of put it in this in my mind in this category of like low code, no code tools. And uh, as much as I am a new technology person, I just don't believe it. Like, right. I see how unique every bit of code that I write is and how specific it has to be. And I just setting copilot itself aside for a second. I feel like those other things, low code, no code, just the Lego block programming is just it doesn't seem realistic to me. It doesn't seem like it's actually going to be attainable. Yeah, I, I agree. It seems for a certain swath of applications, but yes. Yeah. Yeah. What was the, was that like a GPT three or whatever was doing some before copilot hit the scene. There was that like, there was another like ML sort of thing that was like, you describe your program and it writes it. What? That's yeah. weird. Yeah. So it was something like that. I don't know. But yeah. I, bought github it was probably was in their mind at the time right let's use artificial mm-hmm. learning we have this huge repository of code that we have access to we can come up with this sort of i mean it's a brilliant idea from yeah a, a selling from perspective. A business perspective yeah mm-hmm. okay i feel like i would have to rewrite all the code after it was suggested to me oh so I, going you can back to, it. Yeah. I was gonna say going back to strong opinions weekly held like i have very very strong about how i like to format my code and and i feel like i would have to rewrite essentially every line that gets added to have my f- flavor flavor but that's what it on. says if you're really concise up front it learns from how you do it and it does it your way oh really so yes. i think you would love it yeah so if your variables <laughs> are all like my underscore name underscore oh i'm done i'm kicked off <laughs> we so can, you, it, 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 how you name things like it, it keeps track of that so when it's introducing no new code it's going to put underscores in your variable names as yeah. opposed to doing you know camel case i, I see or in your case lots of line breaks I see how many developers <laughs> will copy a space indented code into a tab indented code file and then just leave it like that. Eh. And, and, and these that are like how you get murdered. Yeah. Like, <laughs> these are smart, hardworking people 
doing that, I have yeah. to imagine if someone can have code auto generated for them, like, is it, uh, in some ways that's going to make things even worse you for, like, for like that person. Yeah. I don't think Copilot's going to do that. I think it's going to be better at that sort of thing, right? It's not trying to find a code snippet that it has seen in the past that would fit what you're trying to do. It is, it has a, a, an understanding of how programming works and tries to understand what you're trying to do and give you, it, and it tries to write code to do what you're trying to do. I'm telling you guys, I, this is how we get Skynet. I think what Ben's saying is if you have someone who already copies and pastes in spaces and tabs, they probably shouldn't be given Copilot because they're not going to get any better. <laughs> they're just going to well, trust it, it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not even that, that they're not going to get better. It's like if you're already not cleaning up the code that you're putting in, what are the chances that you're going to double check the code that someone else puts in? Mm-hmm. And are you going to understand it? <laughs> I don't know. It makes me a little nervous. We'll see. We'll see. All right. Mm-hmm. And because we don't work on projects that automatically format for us. <laughs> well, that's the other thing, right? If, you, <laughs> if we're going to do this, linting would save you from the, the copy and paste. Wrong indentation. Oh, oh, next topic. <laughs> you, just need your, you just need your own linter. The Ben Nadell linter. Mm-hmm. All right. All right, Tim. Tim the time starts now. What do you got going on? What's your which topic? So I don't know if mine's really a, a topic. Maybe I should have gone first. It's more of an amuse-bouche. <laughs> sort of a philosophical I've just been thinking about this a while uh, you guys know there's several or well, lots of employee owned companies right where uh, all the company uh, all the employees they're basically a stockholder they own the company they sort of have a uh, structure where the employees mm-hmm. have input into how things are done and recently I've been trying to find any software company that runs like that there's so much overhead in software and I, there's so much I really feel if you gave the developers more control, more power, more say in the, how the company was done, things would be better. Not only that, but I think visibility into what the, what right. things are going on to enable them to just come in, punch the clock, and yeah. work on their code that they've been assigned to do. Like, yeah, I, I just feel that you know there was a period where programmers were sort of rock stars, and now we've kind of gotten into the period where programmers are just kind of mechanics. Right. And I think that's not good for the industry as a whole, because then, oh, you can be, you know, like, oh, yeah, I work there. And all, you know, all I do is just, you know, wash some bugs every now and then. And that's not really a, what I consider a programmer. So I, the only company I could find, I did a Google, some Google searches today, and there's one company. Uh, Salon Systems Solutions Inc. They are 100% employee owned. <laughs> they work in mostly government, defense, uh, EOD. They, but they, I mean, they're a software company and they're 100% employee owned. But that's the only one I can find. Uh, I just think there'd be so much benefit <laughs> if the developers who are actually working on stuff had more at stake mm-hmm. and more to gain. Yeah. In the whole game of software. Cause it's like <laughs> the, the, the management tends to like, it's the, the administration. Those are where, where the money goes, right? Yep. It's where all the money goes up at the top, you know, and then those people aren't really producing anything. So I laughed there because you called it a game and the, I've been waiting for the right moment here to say, there's a book I read that is, it's not about employee owned businesses, but it is about <laughs> making every single employee feel like they're an owner, like feel like they have that stake in the company and they, so it's 
the name of the book is The Great Game of Business. Mm-hmm. And the concept is you kind of open source your business to the employees, the whole budget. Every, I think that it doesn't specifically say in the book, but I think that the idea is like, this is how much we spend on salaries. Not that Tim makes this much and Ben makes this much. That's a separate discussion, whether or not you want that to be open, but right. So you've got the budget. These are our expenses. These are our revenues. This is what we do. And this is, you know, this is what this part of the business brings in. And we use that to cover this part of the business that runs at a loss and whatever, like, and setting uh, goals and breaking them up into chunks. And like, it's a whole thing. And I would recommend reading the book. It was, I found it very inspiring. I read it because we were planning to do that for our business. And it just, we kept kind of having to put it off because of different things, for example, COVID. And, you know, we've got, we just got other things we got to do to survive before we can take on something that's more philosophical. And yeah, I mean, like, like I said, I found it inspiring and I would recommend it. Hmm. Okay. I'll check it out. I also wonder if, if there's a difference between kind of a lifestyle company versus the startup craze these days where companies are trying to, you know, outcomes. I, I don't know what the right terminology is, but I, I think it's hard to have an employee led company when so much of the culture these days is how do you give people options instead of money? Or how do you, you know, have the extra hard and the hope that one day something will have a huge payoff. I think if you're going to have ownership of the company be so distributed, then you really would have a harder time. I think selling people on that concept where a lot of people probably just want to come in, do my work and feed my family and have a nice life and not necessarily worry about, you know, disrupting industry. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, let's say the the early people in Facebook, right. They were, weren't making money. They were doing it for the options, but now they're fully established company. And so you get into this thing where you just have this mass of workers who are basically getting nothing. I sound like a socialist. Oh my God. (laughs) Um, You have this, the mass of workers who are just working for, low wages doing repetitive things. Just, I don't know. I was just trying to find a, a way to make a better life for program, particularly game developers. I mean, if people who are in the gaming industry, the hours and the deadlines that they set, I mean, their quality of life is just trash. Mm-hmm. I just wonder if you yeah. took, a, yeah. if you started a game company with some good funding and made it an employee owned company and said, you know what, let's just build a really good game. And, you know, one has stake in it because part of their salary is going to be based off of, you know, profitability of it. You know, what could they accomplish? I just, it's just an experiment that I haven't seen out in the wild. Mm-hmm. And I'm just curious about that. So I also think that if you went that route, you would have more qualified employees because you're going to self-maintain that, right? right. You're going to um, make sure that the people working on your product are doing a good job because you have stake in what they're doing as much as you have stake in what you're doing. Yeah. So you're not going to let someone come in and work who just puts out a bug or two every now and then and just goes home. Like you're going to want someone who's invested into it and who does a good job. So I think there's positive sides to it. Yeah, I, I just uh, try to figure out mentally, you know, the model of where you have a, a organization, a group of people where everyone is driving value and being compensated appropriately for the value that they're driving. Because, you know, too many people that all they do is it, like people in finance who just move numbers around. They don't really create anything. And then you have people who are generating, you know, the actual product who get, 
you know, tenth of what someone who just moves numbers around does. And maybe that's just my, I'm prejudiced because I'm a developer and I just think we're the ones who, who do all the work, uh, know the other folks work hard, but it's like, who is actually creating, who's generating the value of the product? It's the developers. They're the ones creating stuff. And it, but yet it seems like they, except for maybe a few who've been there a really long time and have seniority, they're the ones who are just kind of at the lower end. They're the mechanics. They're treated like mechanics. And how do we make that more equitable for everyone? I don't feel like that's everywhere. I feel like, you know, where I'm at, engineers are compensated well. Like we don't, I wouldn't say that we aren't treated fairly. We work normal hours. I feel like we get what we deserve. So I think there are companies that aren't employees. Yeah, (laughs) I, I do. I mean, I don't work weekends. I don't work nights. I every now and then will pull some long hours. And it's usually because I want to myself. It's not because it's pushed upon me. And I feel like we make we make good money doing it. But you probably don't know what the folks above you are doing. Yeah, I mean that's making. true. That's true. But so one thing they did do is they brought in a um you know, the title it just happened like in the last couple of months they brought someone in to basically do salary analysis of right. the entire company and against you know other companies that yep. compete against us or do what we do to make sure that we're being treated yeah. fairly. So yeah. Everyone's doing that because of the great resignation that's going on right now. Everyone crazy. through COVID has decided to reevaluate their life and they're all at once deciding to change <laughs> careers. So you got to make sure you're paying your people right. That's all I had. That's okay. a good topic. All right. Well, we got less than a minute left on your timer, so I'm just going to play it now. <laughs> oh, uh, <laughs> thanks. You're welcome. Just thought it would make uh, your hater happy. Thanks. He'll hate it no matter what. We cut Tim off. Yay. (laughs) Feed me. Cool. So I guess this is the time of the show when I tell you that this episode is, this episode of Working Code is brought to you by uh, Weak Opinions, Strongly Held, and (laughs) listeners like you. If you like what we're doing here, you might want to consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash workingcodepod to thank our patrons for their support. They all get an invite to our Discord server where we like to hang out and chat about any old thing and we have other perks available like early access to new episodes and our after show that we're going to go record here in a couple of minutes and um, a game night coming up yeah um, you get to play games with us you guys coming adam's yeah. not yeah sorry i got this whole anniversary thing going on Aww. marriage <laughs> love and marriage <laughs> of course we need to thank our top patrons monty and peter thank you guys so much for your support And if paying for podcasts isn't your thing, no worries. We appreciate you taking the time to listen. And there are some free ways that you can help us out too. You can leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can share the show with your friends and your coworkers. Please send us your questions and show topics on Twitter or Instagram at Working Code Pod or leave us a message at 512-253-2633. That's 512-253-CODE. We'll catch you next week. And until then, guys, your heart matters. Even if you have weak opinions, strongly held. (laughs) it's strongly you've been listening to working code with your hosts adam ben carol and tim if you're enjoying the show please feel free to rate subscribe and review on your preferred podcast listening platform we really appreciate that effort we'll catch you on the next episode of working code
add right into your topic then? Sure. No, no, okay. no. You got to break it up. You got to make people listen longer. Because <laughs> if they only want to hear you, now they're just going to dip out. Ben, you're next. There you go. Okay. We're, we're breaking it up. <laughs> so right. let it be written. So let it be done. Going through and saw this TikTok of like what engineers do. And it was like, what my parents think I do. And it's like, you know, sitting there with headphones, like fixing electronics and stuff. And it's like, what my boss thinks I do. And it's like, nonstop coding, like lots of caffeine. It's like, what I really do. And it's like in bed taking a nap. (laughs) The laptop (laughs) vibrates and opens it. It's like, hello? Yeah, I'm here. (laughs) Engineering life is hard. I saw one the other day and it was like what people think hackers do and it's all this crazy hacking and then it's like what hackers actually do and it's posting memes on Facebook. Yeah. Your first, the first road you lived at and your first pet name are your superhero name. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.